Our next lesson uh, comes to us today from the Gospel of John. You'll notice that the scriptures we're reading in worship today are not the ones listed in the program. Uh, I did a bad job of proofing the bulletin, and it, the, the text for last week actually remained in the bulletin for this week, so I didn't notice that till this morning. So we threw a curve at Laurie when she wrote, read from uh, Isaiah a few moments ago. And now I'm not reading from Isaiah. I'm reading from the Gospel of John. From the ninth chapter, let us continue to listen for the Word of God. As Jesus was walking along, and I'm reading out of the today's English version of the Bible, a bit more contemporary rendering of it. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this man to be born blind? Was it his own or his parents' sin? And Jesus answered, His blindness has nothing to do with his sins or his parents' sins. He is blind so that God's power might be seen at work in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. But night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, Jesus spat on the ground and made some mud with the spittle. He rubbed the mud on the man's eyes and told him, Go and wash your face in the pool of Siloam. A name means scent. So the man went, and he washed his face, and he came back seeing. His neighbors then, then and the people who had seen him begging before this, asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, He is the one. But others said, No, no, he just looks like him. So the man himself said, I am the man. How is it? that you can now see, they asked him. He answered, the man called Jesus made some mud. He rubbed it on my eyes and told me to go to Salome and wash my face. So I went, and as soon as I washed, I could see. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he answered. Then they took, then they took him to the Pharisees, the man who had been born blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured the man of his blindness, was the Sabbath. The Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. And he told them, he put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, the man who did this cannot be from God for he does not obey the Sabbath law. Others, however, said, how could a man who is a sinner perform such miracles as these? And there was a division among them. So the Pharisees asked the man once more, You say that he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet, the man answered. The Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind and could now see until they called his parents and asked them, Is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How is it then that he can now see? His parents answered, We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind, but we do not know how it is that he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness. Ask him. He's old enough, and he can answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that anyone who said they believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said he is old enough. Ask him. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind, and they said to him, Promise before God that you will tell the truth. We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. 
I do not know if he's a sinner or not, the man replied. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. What did he do to you, they asked. How did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you, he answered, and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. They insulted him and said, you are that fellow's disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. The man answered, what a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not be able to do a thing. And they answered him, You were born and brought up in sin, and you were trying to teach us? And they expelled him from the synagogue. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember, I wonder how many of you here uh, this morning remember John Merrick. It's been, I guess, 30 or more years since we've probably thought much about him. You may not remember the name, but I would wager that many of you remember the story, such a poignant story about his life. Uh, and I find myself returning to this story often in the Christmas season for some reason. I think I know why I do that, but uh, I think of it nearly every year when Advent and Christmas come round. John Merrick's life came to an end a little more than 100 years ago in London, England. He was afflicted from emphasis uh, with a hideous disease called neurofibromatosis. John Merrick stood about five feet tall. Uh, he was greatly disformed, malformed by this disease that grew worse and worse the older he got. His head became massive. His head was like 36 inches in circumference, about like a man's waist, about like my waist if I suck it in. Uh, but he had one lo uh, arm that was grossly enlarged. It looked more like an elephant's trunk than it looked like an arm on a human being. One finger was five inches in circumference. Uh, his face was distorted by these tumors and growths that kept coming, and he had a hard time eating and drinking, even breathing, because a mass was coming out of his, his mouth. So he couldn't do a lot of normal things, simply like speaking well or clearly or eating or drinking. He suffered from chronic bronchitis all of his life, had a difficult time breathing. Uh, and he had been injured as a child, and because of that hip injury, he had a bad limp uh, throughout his days. And adding to the pathos of his situation was the fact that the mother that he adored and loved and was so sweet to him died when he was but a child of 12. Um, and he always carried a picture of her with him on, on his person. It was because of her love and care and attention to John when he was a young boy and a child that he didn't have the kind of emotional crippling that often... Uh, in those days went with a physical deformity but throughout his life he was a victim of all kind of abuse and taunting by children and adults as well he was unable to find work 
as he became older, the only thing he could do was to travel with a carnival, a traveling carnival. And he was one of the freaks in the freak show. He was known as the Elephant Man. Bernard Pomerantz wrote a play based on his life, which became a movie in uh, 1980. We will see a clip from this shortly. But uh, at any rate, it's, it's a compelling story. It's a poignant story. And the story of his life touches me every year. Uh, in November of 1884, this carnival came to London, and uh, there was a young surgeon at the London Hospital, a man by the name of Dr. Frederick Treves, that had heard about this man and went uh, to see the show, to see this man in person, this creature, because he was considered almost more of a monster than he was a human being. And he said what he found when he went to observe was the embodiment of loneliness Fortunately, Treves kept a journal, and so I'll be sharing what he wrote about his experiences in there. And he writes about that carnival show, The showman pulled back the curtain and revealed a bent figure crouched on a stool. The showman, speaking as if to a dog, called out harshly, Stand up! And the thing rose. Thing, he wrote. Frederick Treves thought, as did everybody else, for all pra practical purpose, that this pitiful creature wasn't fully a human being, that he was actually more like an animal, and that he was a mental and emotional blank. He continues to write, I suppose Merrick was an imbecile and had been an imbecile from birth. It was not until I later came to know him that Merrick proved to be quite in highly intelligent that he possessed an acute sensibility and, worst of all, a romantic imagination. It was then that I realized the overwhelming tragedy of his life. Dr. Frederick Treves, in the movie, played by Anthony Hopkins, uh, took an interest in this being, this, this, this man. And though he couldn't cure him, it was an incurable uh, disease, he showed him compassion and concern, and he did everything he could to kind of elevate him from the environment in which he was living. He convinced the London Hospital to provide John Merrick with a room that could be his home, and the nurses there tended to him, and Treves uh, ministered to him in so many different ways. Actually, John Merrick at this time became something of a cause celeb uh, in London. Many people learned of his plight. Uh, Princess Alexandra and the Prince of Wales took an interest in him. Queen Victoria even wrote a letter to the London Hospital uh, asking them and praising them for their willingness to assist this man in need. But it was through getting to know him that Dr. Treves realized that beneath the grotesque exterior of this man, there was a deeply sensitive and highly intelligent and, and moral and decent and gifted person. When he came to the hospital, he had not been exposed to the better things of life or to better people. He had no friends. But he began reading books, reciting poetry, quoting from scripture and from the prayer book. And he expressed his artistic sensibility by using his one good arm and hand to cut out cardboard and make cardboard models of cathedrals as he imagined them. The movie um, 
Anthony Hopkins plays Treves, his wife, that you'll see shortly. Uh, it was uh, Wendy Hiller. Uh, an actress by the name of Madge Kendall, played by Anne Bancroft, takes an interest in him. She was a star on the, uh, on the, in the thea theatrical uh, arena, and she took an interest in uh, John Merrick as well. And Merrick himself is played by a man brilliantly by the name of John Hurt. Um, I'm going to set what we're going to see here. I, I, I wanted, when I remembered this, I w wanted to show a clip from the movie. And uh, so I called the public library here and I said, do you all have a copy of this movie, uh, The Elephant Man, from back in 1980? And the man that was answering and working in uh, reference said, oh, I remember that movie. It scared me to death as a child. And I thought, I wonder if I should show this. Uh, to the rejoice crowd and even when I found uh, a copy online and bought it in the credits it opens by saying uh, all of this material may not be suitable for young children so I had some concerns but what I'm going to show you I think is is fine uh, there are parts of it that really not of what you're going to see but of the movie itself if you want to watch it just let me know because I bought a copy online and I'll be happy to share it with you but uh, it almost has the feeling of a horror story or a, um, I don't know, something along that line. But what you're about to see is the occasion when Dr. Treves invites John Merrick to come to his home. He finds a suit, and so he gives him a suit, which he never... He actually wore this black robe that surrounded him. He wore a mask over his head so that no one could see his face or his appearance. And he wore a huge hat that covered him, so he was quite a spectacle to look at. But Treves, in trying to expose him to the better things of life, <coughs> along with his wife, Anne, invites John Merrick to come and have tea at their home one day. And this is what we're going to see in a few minutes, if you can run that clip. Please go ahead, John. Make yourself comfortable. Ah, come on. Meet our guest. Merrick, I'd like you to meet my wife, Anne. Anne, this is John Merrick. I'm very pleased to meet you, Mr. Merrick. I'm very pleased. I just cried. 
fellow that used to be treated so well by a beautiful woman. Would you like a cup of tea, Mr. Merrick? It's a good idea. Would you like to come and see the rest of the house? Come on, I'll show you. How's your tea? Very good. I enjoy my visit here very much. It's a kind of visit. Help me in your own home. I'm sorry that I paid a spectacle of myself. No, not at all. I like the way that you arrange the pictures on the mantelpiece. Oh, thank you. Is that the way they do it in most houses? Yes, I'm sure they do, yes. Who... who they are? Well, these are relatives and these are our children. Children? Oh, yeah, I see. Where are the children? Well, um, well, they're out with friends at the moment. Friends? And uh, here is Frederick's mother. Oh. And uh, these, these are my parents. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Noble faces. Yes, I've I've always I've always thought so myself. Could you care to see my mother? Your mother? Yes, please. Oh, but she's. Mr. Merrick, she's beautiful. Oh, she had... She, she had the face of an angel. I must... It's been a great disappointment to her. No, Mr. Merrick, no, no. No son as loving as you could ever be a disappointment. If only I could find her so she could see me. Such lovely friends here now that perhaps she could love me as I am. I'm trying so hard to be good. I'm so sorry. 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 I'm so
At one point in the story, uh, he, as was often the case in his life, he was taunted and chased by young hooligans and thugs, and they chased him down a street in London one day, and uh, when he was cornered, he turned around and he shouted at, at them, uh, I am not an animal, I am a human being, I am a man. The story of John Merrick's life is a powerful and poignant one. I think it's one we need to hear and think about in our own lives, especially in an age such as this when so much weight is put on external appearances of people and we judge them by their, their gender, their race, their appearance, uh, their pocketbook, their talent. We don't see the person that's inside so often as Jesus always did. Uh, and we live in times where Human life is cheapened by a dismal view of humanity, a deterministic view that there's nothing we can do about our helpless, hopeless selves and nothing can be done with us. Uh, and that's why I think it's maybe helpful to view a movie such as this. Actually, I started thinking about this movie a couple of months ago. Our daughter in Charleston, I probably shouldn't be sharing this, but anyway, she, she said she's noticed uh, that she has two children, but her youngest child is a boy seven years old. And she said, asked me one day, Dad, how do you teach empathy to a child? Because he doesn't seem to be empathetic when he's around people that may be having troubles or, or struggles or look differently. How do you teach empathy to a child? Great question. I didn't know how to answer it, but I know what came to my mind later when I was driving back here. I said, maybe you ought to sit down with him and watch... Uh, elephant man and talk about what he sees and hears and experiences in that it may behoove us all to do so the turning point in the life of John Merrick came when this young surgeon Dr. Treves and his family took an interest in him showed him compassion and love treated him as a person not as an animal and recognized the inherent gifts and talents and skills that were already his that he didn't have to learn from someone else that was the turning point the turning point in the life of the man born blind in Jerusalem was when an itinerant rabbi came into town and did the same thing showed him compassion and love offered him aid and ended up healing him John Merrick cried out I am not an animal. I am a man. I am a human being. And the blind beggar eventually cried out, All I know is I was blind, and now I can see. I think there are parallels in these two stories of John Merrick and the man born blind. Each of them receives love and tenderness and compassion from another person and is uplifted by divine love through the touch of another person. What each of them also experienced was the ability to receive help in a way that affirmed their own dignity. That they were allowed to participate in their own healing, if you will. Not necessarily physical healing, as in, with John Merrick's case, but emotional healing and intellectual healing and spiritual healing. 
because they could participate in their own improvement. John Merrick eventually had to decide, would he take off this mask, this disguise that he wears, and risk going into public, especially London society, willing to risk the taunts and the scorn and the stares of people. He decided to do so for his own healing. And notice that Jesus allows the blind beggar from Jerusalem to participate in his healing as well. Yes, he puts the mud on his eyes, but he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which was about a quarter mile from uh, where they were. So he goes and washes. So he participates in his own healing, if you will. And I can imagine this blind beggar, whose life was very similar to John Merrick. Back in that day, all that he could do was beg. There's no work that he could accomplish that he was aware of. So he goes to the pool of Siloam, and I can imagine him feeling his way along the street, asking people to guide him or help him, until he finally gets to the pool and there washes and his sight doesn't return because he never had it to begin with, but he's able to see as never before. A wonderful thing Jesus did for the blind beggar, and a wonderful thing Dr. Frederick Treves did for the elephant man, John Merrick. Each discovers a new life because of the compassionate touch and interest of a child of God. Centuries later, this man known as the Elephant Man would have his dignity restored. And he came to see himself in a new and different way. So too did the man born blind. Because he was not only given sight, he was given a sense of dignity and purpose and self-worth. John Merrick and the blind beggar are still with us. How so? Well, one, they're with us, within us. Each and every one of us in some way has some affliction, something that would prevent us from being what God created us to be. Our affliction may not be as obvious or as public as neurofibromatosis or even blindness, but we all have some affliction. It may be internal, it often is. It may be very personal, it certainly is. Maybe it's a sense of isolation we feel, a sense of separation from God, from other people, maybe even from people in our own family. Maybe it's a sense of failure. Maybe it's a realization that we have messed up our lives in some way and don't know how to get over it or to turn from it. We can sing with the writer of the Christmas carol, from our fears and sins release us. We need release from those things that keep us from being what God would enable and equip us to be. And sometimes we need the touch of the human hand in enabling that to take place. The elephant man and the blind beggar each was consciously flawed in some way, but each discovered a new and a better self and a new and a better life. When touched by human kindness and uplifted by divine love, each discovered in their own life situation, Emmanuel, that God was with them to change them and to use them. And what God had promised through Isaiah centuries before was fulfilled in the lives of each of them. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not, 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing for joy. Not only are John Merrick and the elephant man and the blind beggar present within us, they are present about us day in and day out. Maybe we're sitting next to them this morning. We work beside them in our jobs. They're in our neighborhoods. They're among our social groups. People who also need the touch of a human hand, need the compassion and the care of some person who will go out of their way to befriend them or to love them or to aid them. And this is the good news that we have in this season of the year. People seem more open to reaching out and serving those in need than ever before. It's not that the needs aren't there in the summer heat of July. They are. But for some reason, we human beings respond better at this season of the year, perhaps because we're reminded of that one life that came and lived among us that was devoted to being a servant to others. I would hope and pray that that is the reason that the world tends to respond better in this season of the year. But the good news of Christmas and Advent is that those of us who have been healed in our own lives can be the healers of others. And those of us who have been redeemed in Jesus Christ can help others experience that same redemption spiritually, physically, emotionally, intellectually, whatever it is we may need. And one reason God sent his son among us is to demonstrate for us how we as human beings can be used of God to make a difference in God's world and in the lives of God's children. May God enable that to happen in us and through us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.